0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of Mindset to Mastery, the podcast. I'm your host, Keisha A. Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the Cars Group, where we facilitate outcome by equipping people to embrace and manage change. And I am excited, as I usually am with my guests, but I'm really excited for um, my guest this time because I have Norman Wolf with me, who is the CEO of Quantum Leaders, and we are going to be talking about the living organization. Which, right now, because of all the transition and change that everybody is going through in their workforce, now more than ever, it's important for us to realize that our organizations are living, breathing entities that we have to adjust with. So, welcome, Norman. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful, Keisha. Thank you so much. It's such a delight to be here.
0: Yeah, every when, when, and, and Norman and I, we connected on, on LinkedIn and scheduled a call, and I think we were, we were supposed to only be on the call for what, maybe 15 or 20 minutes, and we talked for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I love your approach to organizations as not just being transformational, not just being um, on the cutting edge or able to pivot. You actually talk about our organizations as being living, breathing entities. And yeah with what's going on, especially now with the pandemic, a lot of people are having to pivot and rethink their organizations and they're running into this wall. So what do you describe or how do you say, um, you know, what is, a, what is a living organization?
1: Well, <clears throat> it's interesting. I came about that because, um, as a as a leader as a leader of organizations over the years, as a member of board of directors, and as a um, consultant for over thirty years now, I began to wonder why we aren't being more successful than we are. And in that journey of trying to figure out how we can actually create better outcomes, I realized we were stuck in a framework or a mindset I call it the paradigm thinking of an organization as a machine. And and that's not a bad thing. I mean we even even a living being, even person has what you might call mechanistic attributes, right? We have a physiology, our blood flows, and 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 things happen. So I'm not negating the the efficacy of the mechanistic aspects of an organization. It's just not enough. And after a while Thinking of it as an organization does not help us solve the challenges that we're facing. Especially like you say today, right? Mm -hmm. A a machine cannot pivot very quickly. Machines are programmed, and machines require somebody to redesign them. And if you think about it, that's the fundamental role of leadership: is to design the operation of the machine, pass that information down to the people who are components of the machine and the people are supposed to execute what to to be part of that machine to produce something useful. the shortcoming in that is one, it diminishes the creative potential of individuals,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Because I'm just here to do what other people tell me to do. Right. It puts a huge burden on the leadership to have to figure out in this complex world what the right answers are, and for those who like to think they're god, that god that's okay, but for most of us who are in leadership, we kind of sense that feeling of of intrinsic burden that everything falls to us mm-hmm. and, and number two, uh, or number three, they, we can't respond fast enough that's the fundamental shortcoming that I kept seeing over and over again, and, and you know what's happening today, as you point out requires us to be really fluid and flexible um, we have to be able to sense what's going on without a lot of concrete logical data nobody knows what the future is going to hold how do I plan in this time of uncertainty I can't I can't use the past to predict the future so right. what do I do and, and, and the amazing thing is there's only one call it organization, if you will, if you want to use that term, there's only one species on our planet that has that capacity to sense and respond to its environment, to adapt, to learn, to grow, grow, to contribute, to be creative, to create something out of nothing, and that's the human being. Hmm. And so I modeled, I began to look at how do we, as human beings, do all that? What is the mechanism for doing that? How come we are capable of that? You know, uh, a bird is a living being or a living entity. A tree is a living entity. Uh, There are lots of living systems out there, but a bird can't swim under the water. A fish can't fly. A tree can't walk. Mm -hmm. But human beings, when they decide they want to create something like, I want to fly, Mm -hmm. right? We created. (laughs) airplanes. <laughs> right? <laughs> we want to swim deep in the water. We created scuba diving, mm-hmm. right? We have this phenomenal ability to overcome the limitations of our simple thing. Now imagine if organizations can respond that way. Well, that's the basic of uh, the living organization framework, to, to recognize they had that potential if we just treated them like they were living beings instead of um, machines.
0: You know, and it's interesting because I keep talking about you know, equipping organizations and people to embrace and manage change. And something that you just said, I've been taking some notes because there, when you talk about how machines don't pivot, machines need to be programmed. Machines have a prescribed order and a way of doing things. And how many times before now have we heard people in organizations and companies say, that's the way we've always done it. Oh, we can't switch and do that. Oh, we can't change our policies and procedures. Oh, we can't. And they had all of these predetermined prescribed um, rules that they had to follow. And then all of a sudden COVID-19 hits and now our workforce has to work remote. Well, you were saying that there was no way we could do that. Now in the matter of a couple of weeks, you figured out how to have 70 to 80% of your people working remotely. Um, I think that, within this whole concept of rethinking our organizations, I think that opens it up. Like you said, human beings are creative. We create something out of nothing. We figure out what we want to do, and then we figure out a way to make it happen. Absolutely. But within our companies, and our organizations, why is it that we figure, we say, hey, this has limitations. We can't do that.
1: Well, you know, it, you almost have to go back historically to see how the modern day corporation was created, and in the in the belief systems that were around at that point in time, um, it, for which the, the 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 designers of an organization were imbued with, and and they carried those belief systems into the into how we should organize groups of people. You know? There's a couple of things about what was going on back then. First of all, we were moving from uh, an agrarian society to an industrial society. And people were coming off the farms and coming into the urban areas and working in factories. These weren't highly skilled people. These were not educated people. They did not have the vision to understand what a purpose was. and, And so they had to be trained and, and, and so it made sense to kind of organize it where you train people on just small amounts of skill sets and um, things didn't change very rapidly in the early 1900s. Right? We didn't have um, technology that was changing everything. We didn't have Facebook and then Uber and then Airbnb. And mm-hmm. I mean, in the last decade, we've had more change than we've had in the previous you know, 50 years. So things didn't change so rapidly. So, hey, it made sense. I, I, I'm the leader. I designed the organization. I helped these, I don't want to say uneducated, because that tends to be pejorative, but less educated, less skilled people that we want to bring together in some way. So we organized and structured them. And back then, the dominant theory of how the world works was Newtonian Um, physics so everything was a component of the machine we even looked at the universe as a big clock Mm. and in all its components and the desire back then was to control and predict the future or the outcomes that's the foundation of newtonian science as a matter of fact science over the years has been trying to be in control of nature now fast forward 120 150 years to the day and you've got a whole different world. We've learned a lot about how the world works. We've learned about um, elements of quantum physics where a, a light is both a, a particle, a photon, but it's also a wave. Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and they're both simultaneously. Well, that doesn't quite fit the Newtonian paradigm, right? We, we know that life is uh, non-locality and, and all these other principles of quantum physics. So our world, our basic belief system about how the world is is changing. We are beginning to slowly recognize that we have less control over life than we would like and we're beginning to accept that. We can't control things like the virus, right? COVID-19. What?
0: We mean we COVID-19
1: don't 19. Everything.
0: Has, oh my gosh, you are speaking blasphemy. We have it all <laughs> under control. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, God forbid, man is not the pinnacle of the universe and doesn't control everything. A little virus uh, that big has shut down the whole human race, mm-hmm. right? Or who's in control. And we're beginning to recognize these elements. And the funny thing is, when we begin to learn to give up this sort of dominance over nature, we flow into this, a much more creative emergent space. So things have been changing. So why is it the way it is? Well, it's kind of legacy. You know, it's like it's like running an old mainframe computer with all its, you know, green screens and and mm-hmm. stuff to uh, an Apple Mac, iPro or my iPhone or my iWatch, and you know the world is changing, but we just haven't we just haven't caught up yet. We haven't we haven't quite redesigned our thinking, mm-hmm. and that's why I look at the work I do as really truly paradigm shifting. It's like going from seeing the world as flat to understanding it's round. Mm-hmm. And if you understand what Galileo went through when, <laughs> when he, when he said that, you know, no, the, the, the earth revolves around the sun. The earth is not the center of the universe. I mean, he was blasphemous. Yeah, so yeah. you're right. This is quite blasphemy mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, but
0: I, I think it also comes down to, and, and you mentioned it, this whole notion of control
1: yeah, absolutely. and,
0: and, and we want to have predictable Outcomes we want to have certain steps where we know what's coming and and it it, to me. It's such a um, It's such a contradiction for us as human beings to be so creative and so curious and so readily able to explore everything that's going on around us and marvel at the wonder of the universe and nature and everything else but when it comes to other things, we're so rigid and we want things exactly the way we want them. And we don't want to shift and we don't want anything new to happen. And, you know, and, and I talk to people all the time and I said, do you realize that change goes on all the time? You just don't really pay that much attention to it.
1: Oh, we don't. And, and, and you're right. It's, it's, it's one of the fundamental paradoxes of, of life. We simultaneously want to be, we want a life that's safe, predictable, comfortable and all you know controllable we're, we're in control we feel totally like we got it mm-hmm. right and then we also want this sense of newness and learning yep. and growth and excitement and expansion and increased capabilities it, in and I mean, you just look at those two, two right. pieces, you can, you can already begin to sense the, the nature of the paradox of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and I, I call it paradox because like a wave and a particle, they're both true.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: need both. We need a certain amount of, of control, of safety, of comfort. And we need a certain amount of expansion and challenge and stress and, and pushing the edge.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, in, in game theory, Um, there's a thing called uh, the band of challenge. And I I love it because I think it expresses the the true nature of this paradox. The band of challenge, if you think about playing any game, uh, whether it's a board game or a a computer game, um, the challenge for the designers is to keep the player in this band where um, if if they go below that element, the, the game is too easy and it's boring and they leave the game. If they go above that band, it's frustrating, they don't feel accomplished, they don't feel like they're successful, they get frustrated and leave the game. Mm-hmm. So there's a space in there where there's a a sense of I feel accomplished, I feel like I'm being successful, but I'm also challenged to keep growing.
0: Yes.
1: And that's what keeps us alive. And the same thing really applies to life, is, is how do we find that band of challenge where we're not getting so comfortable that we're stagnating, but we're not pushing ourselves so far that we are um, frustrated and scared and nervous and having nervous breakdowns and all of that. Yeah.
0: And I think if we start looking at our organizations in that way, um, yeah. and, and instead of seeing them as there's this monolith of, you know, structure and you know, I can predict everything that's happening and I know what's going to happen because this is the way we've always done it. If instead, you know, what if we gave people some freedom to explore? You know, what if we looked at our organizational culture as one that is learning focused and developmental focused? and, 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 And instead of saying, I'm hiring you to fill this position and this role to do exactly the same thing that the person before you did. Maybe you come in and you look at it and you say, you know, like you said, that band of challenge, how can I fit in here, but do something that's going to push the envelope a little bit so that I feel like I'm making some type of progress. I feel like I made some type of impact.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and that's really the challenge for today's leaders is and I love the phrase you use and I use it all the time, developmental. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems in today's, I'll call it consulting speak world where everybody's coming up with a new system, a new framework, even mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I acknowledge that I'm I'm in that. I created the living organization, it's a framework, it's a model. The difference with it is it 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 doesn't prescribe a specific set of how-tos. Rather, it prescribes a certain way of thinking and being as you're doing the how to's. Right. So, if, if you're developmental, uh, and, and let's say your goal as an organization is I want to move to a living organization, I want to become self organized, self managing, I want the people to feel autonomous and self regulating and, and self reflective, and all these kind of attributes that go naturally with the living person then you got to recognize where the organization is today. I can't take a five-year-old and start treating them like a 20-year-old.
0: Right.
1: There's a developmental process. That's why I like that term you used and I use it all the time. Like I said, it's a, it's a, we got to understand that this is a journey of developing people. Mm -hmm. I look at the, you know, in the, in the old model, the capacity of an organization is defined by it's basically it's, it's equipment. I we, we look at, plant and equipment and 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 machinery and to define our capacity that's the machine paradigm in in the living organization paradigm we look at capacity as the capability and maturity of the people Mm -hmm. i throw those two things in because maturity level of the people allow them to handle more complexity deal with more uncertainty have effective relationships learn how to communicate, learn how to share and how to listen, learn how to be creative, learn how to take risks. Mature people, that's, what, that's one of the definitions of maturity is you have these, these certain capabilities that you've developed. You combine maturity with the fundamental skill sets of running a machine or programming a computer or whatever. Now you've got the right talent mix, but that doesn't happen by inserting uh, an agile methodology. Right. or uh, one of these self-managed met- methodologies like sociocracy or holacracy, mm-hmm. or declaring we're going to be a teal organization. I mean, all these lo- lovely, pr- or even a conscious organization. Right? <laughs> these are wonderful principles, and they're aspirational, and we should move towards that. Mm-hmm. But the path is really developmental, and you can only go on a developmental path if you're not programming the machine right. to be these wonderful things, but you're developing the living being over a developmental journey.
0: And I find that so interesting that (laughs) in the time that I work with, with companies and and different types of organizations and you have a new leader that comes in and and they're like, Oh yeah, we want to be that. What's the program for us to be that. (laughs) And it's like, it takes time. You do know that, right? Like you do have to develop your people. Oh no, no, we'll just order some trainings from you. And no, no, no. You train skills. Right. But you develop people. They have right. to shift the way they're thinking. Oh, no, no, no. Just tell them what to do. They'll be fine. <laughs> oh, you
1: see, that's the, that's the machine paradigm thinking of leadership. And, and, and you know, I, 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 I try not to get on the bandwagon of, of leader bashing. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to say, if we only got the CEO to behave this way or that way. Right. Or if the, uh, the leadership just did this or that, uh, then we'd be much more successful. That's, that's almost fostering the, the fundamental belief that the leader is programming the machine. Right. right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, again, paradox that, that we're dealing with. I, I think leaders become more like stewards and developers, facilitators of the organization's growth, but you have to also recognize that the leader has a fundamental responsibility of um, caring for the well being of the organization as a whole. Right. So, if I look at the organization as a living being, then the leader of the organization has the, um, it's like the parent of, of raising the child. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a parent child relationship, um, it's more like a stewardship. It's it's the recognition that I'm really trying to develop the people, so I'm not needed. Right. Right. That that's I'm I'm raising my children, so when they get to be twenty or thirty, they're not coming home to live with me.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. I'm raising my
1: children so they can be. It's that kind of parent that I'm talking about. This this notion of I'm not here to tell you what to do and how to live your life, Mm -hmm. which you know, and some parents do that, and then when the kids come home at twenty years old saying I can't make it in the world parent goes but you're 20 years old why can't you well you know there was a journey that was missed along the way right yeah
0: and it's interesting because when you talk about leaders and their role as one being responsible for the development of the whole organization and and the outcomes and the well-being of the whole organization which also means that they're responsible for the development of the people within the organization absolutely and you know, it, and, and it's, it goes throughout a number of different organizations. If you've got a, a sports team that's losing, you know, it's not the player's fault. Let's fire the coach. And, right. you know, everyone wants that quick fix. Yep. So when, when you talk to different people, especially people who are aspiring to be leaders and people who are in leadership positions, especially now when you've got a huge amount of change And you have a huge amount of responsibility to try to figure out how to get it right. Quote, unquote. Right. (laughs) What would be, and, and, I know there's, it's not prescriptive in terms of, well, here's the top five things that you do to now become a living organization, but what are some of the things that they need to start thinking about? And, and, and what types of conversations should they start encouraging people on their teams to have? Because mindset shift begins with different conversations in different ways of thinking
1: yes yeah, so I spent a lot of time thinking about that as I was writing the book and uh, if, if the role of the leadership in the traditional model is plan lead organize, and control what would it be in the new model if I'm if I'm the custodian or the steward of this living being how can I ensure that it's developing in a healthy way and I came up with four replacements so the first one is it's my responsibility to set the context of the organization the context is has a number of elements to it one is what's our reason for existing now if i'm the founder i'm actually going to set it but if I come in afterwards, it's my job to bring it forward to make sure the essence of the organization, this very reason for existing, is, is, is part of the ongoing narrative of, of, of the cells of the organization, right? They all know why we exist and, and how we're expressing ourselves. The second part of the context is who are we being while we're doing what we're doing? In, in, in the metaphor to human beings, it's what's our character? Mm-hmm. how are we going to how are we going to live in the world how are we going to express ourselves right? um what's important to us when when it's t- time to make tough tradeoffs what what's that going to look like so as a leader i got to have that conversation as you point out changing mindset is really a a, a, a storytelling mm-hmm. skill right mm-hmm. uh because we are creating the narrative of why we exist and who we are and what's our character and how do we make t- the the tough decisions The second skill set is uh, developing people. My job fundamentally is to develop the capabilities and the maturity of the people to increase the capacity of the organization. The third element is building community. And I use that term because if you think about mentally just vision what, what it means to build a team and then think about what it means when you say I want to build a community. Mm -hmm. They have a different quality to them, right? And yet if you look at that, if you look at what a team is and what a community is, they're both a group of people who come together to achieve something. Mm -hmm. There's different quality around community. It's more alive. It's more organic. It's more compassionate. It's caring. It's supportive. It's doing all the things that people today uh, talk about psychological safety. Right. You find psychological safety in my community. That's why I join it. That's why I go to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third and the fourth element is the notion of being of service. So as a leader, I'm in service to my organization. I'm here to serve its development. I'm here to build the community. I'm here to set the context. And externally, I'm here to ensure that the, co- that the community we call our organization is in service to the world, mm-hmm. whatever that might be doesn't mean we're, we're here to green the planet. It might be we're here to pr- provide nuts and bolts to somebody right That's our purpose, right but we're in service to those people. We're doing this because we want to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not doing it to make our lives better. So there's a focus on shifting that. Those are the new roles and responsibilities and in thinking about that I, I also gave a lot of thought to so are the new skill sets leaders need? to accomplish those responsibilities. And I came up with four key skill sets. One is we have to include the heart in the decision-making process, as well as the head, as a phrase often goes. Now, some people say you got to move from the head to the heart. I kind of like including both. (laughs) I think that, that they both play a role. We have to spend time learning how to cultivate the the heart-centered wisdom, as we call it, mm-hmm. because we haven't really cultivated that muscle yet uh, for most people. Um, and so we have, that. that's one skill set, to be able to be, have, the, have the intuitive, the open, the compassionate, the insightful uh, aspects of our being as active as a logical, rational uh, mind, uh, problem-solving mind. And we gain so much more when we can do that. Uh, we, we, when we enter conversations with people, if I can move into the heart center when I'm entering the conversation, it's going to take on a whole different quality of listening, of caring, of compassion, of connection. Whether that be internal or external, it's the same thing. It doesn't stop my wanting to organize and think about the challenges, but I do it from a, from a different place. The second is what I call improv mindset. My wife is an improviser for years and performed and taught improvisation. And when I when I learned the art and skill of improvisation, I, I, it was one of these, you know, stop the forehead moments. Here's a rich body of knowledge that has taught for thousands of years, going back to Roman times, how to deal with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Now, what better skill set for people, for leaders today? than to learn how to improvise, right? Right, For the organization as a whole to learn how to improvise. And improvisation isn't a random set of acts. It's held within the context of what this play is about, what this movie is about if you're an actor, what this scene is about if you're a comedian, what this piece of music is about if you're a jazz player. It it, it holds, it's within a, a context. So it's not random, just do whatever you want. Um, so improvisation, having that mindset, having that skill set is, is the second one. Storytelling and ritual is the third one. And we talked about the power of narrative and storytelling. And stories are supported by the conscious rituals we create uh, to, to kind of cement the stories. We, we embody the stories by the rituals. And the fourth one is uh, integrating opposites, we call it. It's, it's recognizing the, the, the paradoxical nature of life itself. And how do I, when I have two opposing views that both seem right, how do I balance that? How do I, how do I integrate those opposites? Um, how do I take the head of the coin and the tail of the coin to bring them together to create the coin instead of seeing, well, it's either going to be a head or a tail. It can't right. be both. Right. So that's a fourth skill set. So those are the skill sets we believe are critical. There might be others that I haven't yet incorporated or thought about, and I'm sure they'll reveal themselves as time goes on, but those are at least foundational for what we believe leaders need to have going forward.
0: And this is, this is all grace. I mean, you're, you're speaking my language in, <laughs> in terms of this of, kind of stuff I'm interested in. And I talk about a lot um, and it's always, always, always great to talk to you. Um, I wanted to have you um, tell people. I, I know your book is is called "The Living Organization: Transforming Business to Create Extraordinary Results." Um, yep. And if you go on my website at carsgroup.com, that's k-a-r-s group.com, click on the podcast link, and there will be a page there with Norman's information, his bio, links to how to get the book, how to contact him. Because if you are any type of leader, or aspiring to be any type of leader, um, you need to talk to him in terms of finding out exactly what you need to do to start laying the foundation to develop your organization and going from ritualistic to more developmental um, and responsive. Thank you again. Um, 30 minutes goes by so fast when I'm talking to people. Uh,
1: it's, <laughs> it's, it's like we only just got started, I know.
0: It? Um, I'm definitely going to have to have you come back because I would love to talk to you. <laughs> Um, in the uh, post-COVID <laughs> world <laughs> to see what what types of shifts you've seen in organizations um, since all of this has is, is kind of come about.
1: Yep, I'd love to, Keisha. Thank you for having me. It's been really a pleasure.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Again, my name is Keisha Rivers. I'm president, chief outcome F- facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcome by equipping people to embrace and manage change. My guest today has been Norman Wolfe. Um, CEO of Quantum Leaders, talking about the living organization. Please visit my website at carsgroup.com, That's K-A-R-S group.com to find out more information about Norman and to find out where you can buy his book and contact him so that you can create a more dynamic and creative living organization within your sphere of influence. Until next time, everyone, make it a great one. Stay safe, stay sane, and stay sanitized.